This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build multiple streams of passive income through the most proven asset class, real estate. Today, our guest is Sakar Kale, and today we're talking about the state and future of multifamily investing, and we're talking about what you do or what he and his wife did after they retired. They didn't go sit on a beach and they kept working but working with a purpose. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to dig into it. Sakar is a long-term real estate investor. We actually had to rewind his experience even further than I thought. And you're going to know what I mean there. He's been investing even longer than I had been aware. Great Recession really created his hockey stick growth, but his experience goes well back before the Great Recession. So there's a lot of lessons in this one not just for the multifamily investors out there, but for those of you who are looking at your retirement coming up and you're thinking, okay, what am I gonna do? Turns out sitting on a beach is maybe not the best goal. And we're gonna talk about that today with Sakar, what he and his wife chose to do with their retirement. They've been retired for a little bit of time now, a few years, his wife's a bit over a decade. So really incredible stuff. Great conversation with Sakar. You're gonna learn a lot, especially for the multifamily investors out there. Gonna get an update on what's going on with commodity prices, labor availability, prices of just real estate, lending, and so much more. So we really dig into a lot of uh, lessons today. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically multifamily and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and would like to learn about investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call, and we'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you know anyone who could use a little more passive wealth in their lives, who needs to get into real estate investing, needs to start building those multiple streams of passive in, passive income, but doesn't know how to do it, well, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Once again, our guest today is Sakar Kale. Without any further ado, here we go. Sakar, thank you so much for joining us coming back on the show today. For our listeners out there who maybe didn't catch your first appearance on the show, can you tell us about your background, your real estate investing experience, and really you know, what you're up to today? Sure, sure. Thank you, uh, Taylor. Great to be back, and I love to kind of catch up and uh, see where are the missed great uh, stories uh, all around, right? So, personally, Sakar Kavlin, uh, by, you know, sort of based here in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, and done a lot of single-family houses uh, back in the uh, back in those days, and still I'm active uh, now at uh, Premium Cashflow, uh, which is our company. At premiumcashflow.com, we invest in multifamily apartments now since uh, 2018 or so now. And, uh, you know, we're just like doing uh, lots of deals in Sunbell States. Uh, our group right now is into about 7,000 doors uh, into about five states, uh, whether that's uh, Texas, Florida, Georgia, Carolinas, and things like that. So we love all about that. Uh, so gone from from a career perspective, gone from like, a, you know, investing in lots or single family houses. Uh, once I got to a greater state and found that, hey, I could do bigger deals, we 
went into like sort of on the commercial side of things. And that's where uh, I think we are fairly active at this point. Awesome, man. And I, just to clarify for our listeners, you started investing in multifamily specifically in 2018, but you started investing in real estate is right around 2008 or 2010, if I remember right, right after the Great Recession. Actually, I started investing in uh, 2001. Oh, right? geez. Wow. And I was actually still still living at um, uh, in the apartment, right? And I had a about 10 or so rentals at the time. And I paused for some time due to my green card process. But then again, uh, as you rightfully pointed out, I restarted in a very big way back after the 06, 07 crash. And that's when we started massively acquiring uh, like properties. And, you know, I kind of joke all the time that like during those, uh, you know, sort of 2010, 11, 12 was a time when I think the prices had plummeted quite a bit. So having that realization, we were buying about, uh, gosh, like sometimes eight to 10 uh, houses a month. And that's a, that's a lot of transactions and a lot of, uh, you know, sort of work and re- renovation work that we went through at the time. But that's when we realized that after having cash flow and so many houses and achieving that passive income, we were like, well, we could be passive and still do a lot more bigger deals. And that's how we ended up shifting into um, multifamily, actually. And and in fact, that also came a little bit more in a, that transition was also more organic, actually. Uh, I started buying, uh, again, not with any investors or anything. We started buying uh, portfolios, which are whether it was like 24 units or 60 units and things like that. So once I started buying, I was like, wow, how come folks buy these large 100 unit, 200 unit, 300 unit uh, large buildings? And syndication was the answer. And that was like around 2016, 17 timeframe. And after, you know, kind of, understanding a little bit more, I started getting active in that 17, 18 timeframe. And now we've been active, uh, uh, you know, purely in the multifamily space since 2018 or so now. Awesome. Love it. And and I guess I remembered the great recession being the catalyst that started your hockey stick growth, but I forgot about the initial part of your your portfolio. So my apologies there, but uh, (laughs) you you definitely jumped on that opportunity. And just to further uh, add to the story, flesh out the story, you left your job in what year? 2015. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Just to make sure we had that out there. So just adding to make sure everybody knows that the picture of your experience and it's, it's extensive and, and you've done quite Absolutely. a bit. And we are a real estate duo, like between me and my wife, we always been very active together, uh, whether it was, you know, building our real estate portfolio and things like that. So she actually quit her job in 2012, which was much earlier than me because we were scaling at such a rapid pace that we wanted active oversight on our operations and renos and things like that. So she was the first in 12 and then I transitioned out in 15. And as you can see that you can clearly achieve that income levels and you know build your passive income and of course, uh, accelerate your wealth building as well. So that, that surely can be done. And we are kind of the poster child for that. I love it. I love it. So today we wanted to talk about the state of the multifamily market here as we stand in August of 2022, what things look like, what you see, what you see for the future, 
really fill out the picture for our listeners out there on what's going on in, in multifamily, inflation, inflation, interest rates going up, you know, the whole picture. What are you seeing on the ground? There's a Absolutely. lot to ask for. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I mean, that's a lot for sure. And, you know, it's very interesting. We came from a sort of a post-COVID world, although we see the COVID still laying around. Uh, but for the large part, we can say that it's behind us. But what that has given is that the amount of sort of liquidity or the capital that's out there in the market right now, that's what accelerated so much growth in 2021. Like, uh, if we talk specifically about commercial or multifamily in general, uh, we were seeing record prices uh, at the time. But now as inflation came around, obviously Fed is increasing the interest rates and things like that. That has led to so many lenders either backing out of the deals or retrading and things like that. And the deal flow specifically, I would say maybe more like Q2, uh, has considerably slowed down and it's still in a very decelerating uh, pace at this point you know uh, as we know just in july they raised the interest rates again now again come september you will see another either a 75 or another 100 basis points uh, raise on the interest rate so that's all trying to you know curb the inflation now the interesting thing is that we still have record job growth you know and still capital out there. So go figure that uh, phenomena out in terms of the history or the whatever was the historical uh, parlance that we used to do for around all of this, that's gone out the window. So we are rewriting history in terms of, hey, we're still trying to raise the interest rates, there's still liquidity, there's still record jobs being produced by the economy. Like, hey, if someone wants to get a job, they probably have five offers, you know. And we see this uh, on a daily basis. Uh, it seems that, hey, we have some open positions at various of our assets. And, uh, you know, there's just so much uh, sort of optionality right now to people that they don't even show up for interviews many times, you know. Wow. So that's kind of the situation that's going on. But what I feel is that I think this is still an opportunity time to buy multifamily. It's just that we have to be very cautious in terms of where you're buying, what product you're buying, things like that. The fundamentals of multifamily hasn't changed. You know, there's still, you know, good returns to be made. It's just that if we try to, you know, sort of time the market or try to get ahead of ourselves, that's when I think we will have some problems. But if we stay, uh, you know, true to, you know, proper fundamentals, a sound underwriting, I think there's still good, uh, you know, assets to be bought and good returns to be had to the investors. But Again, it's a very kind of a challenging time given where the interest rates and the debt environment is. That's where if one has to be careful that, hey, uh, you suddenly don't want to find that, hey, you are under contract on something and six, eight weeks go by and you're having problems in terms of lenders not giving you proper term sheets that you wanted. And now, you know, you are in a very difficult spot where you thought you were getting one uh, debt uh, at a certain rate and term and but it's something very different so that those are some of the cautionary things that one has to be very careful about would you like to add small business investing to your portfolio well right now you can do that through a service called mainvest.com they're a platform that hosts investment opportunities in local brick and mortar small businesses and you can start evaluating opportunities today by setting up your account 
on mainvest.com using our link in the description. Check it out. Now back to the show. There's also the matter, so you mentioned the difficulty of hiring people for you know, work in the offices, things like that. I know you have construction crews that work for you. We were talking about that a little bit before uh, we started recording here. So there's also the matter of commodity prices. And when we're buying multifamily, planning on adding value, doing construction and everything, we're buying a lot of lumber, we're buying appliances, mm -hmm. all those kinds of things. How are you baking that into your business plans? Because if our model is heavily dependent on adding value by changing units, adding space, you know, whatever we're actually doing, we got to be able to get the stuff to do that. How are yep. you baking that into uh, your plans? I'm glad you asked that question, Heather, because that's kind of our operational challenge almost on a daily, weekly basis now. I mean, if you talk about really last year when the prices were like really records, I mean, you know, a uh, like a two by four was like about almost like $10 at the time. Like you could <laughs> buy for less than $2, you know, a crooked two by four, 10. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. So even appliances, as you rightfully mentioned, I mean, all the costs have gone up. I think the bright side right now, Taylor, is that again, compared to last year, you know, the prices have moderated a little bit. They're still higher. And more importantly, the supply is a lot more predictable. Last year, we had a situation where you couldn't get anything for months together, but at least now it has normalized as we see it in 2022. You may see some wait time, but at least it's not a situation where, hey, something just doesn't exist and we don't even know when it's going to come. It's not that drastic now. So going back to, I think, uh, you know, sort of how we do it on our plans is that I think everything has increased in terms of whether it's your sheetrock, your two by fours, your flooring, your appliances, like what a normal unit turn would cost you around five to 6,000. It's really more like seven and a half to 8,000 now. That's kind of what we are seeing on our side. And we bake that into our plans, you know, and same situations on the labor side as well is that the labor prices have gone up and we are paying for that as well. So all in all, from a construction and a unit turn standpoint, obviously all the prices have, I would say probably gone up by, depending on the market, I would say around 15 to 25% is what we are, uh, we are generally observing, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. So another thing that we've seen happen over the last couple of years is in general, the valuation spread between A-class newer assets and C-class, you know, older, less updated, lower rent assets, that valuation spread is narrowed. It's not exactly the same, but many years ago, that spread was pretty wide. And sure. now the cap rates that those things trade at has really gotten a lot closer. Has that, one, would you agree with that? And two, has that, if you do agree, has that impacted the type of assets that you invest? And a lot of folks have now shifted more to, to A-class because it just doesn't make as much sense to buy C-class. So what do you think? I, I would totally agree with you. At the same time, that doesn't mean that you cannot invest in a B-minus or a mm. C-class. You mm -hmm. know, uh, you're absolutely right. I think the problem, yeah, the problem you end up with is that if you're in A-class, for example, your asset prices are going to be like somewhere in the 70 million plus, you know? So the amount of uh, sort of the, uh, you know, if you imagine like that scale of project, the amount of capital that you have to raise is going to be much higher. So mm -hmm. there's, I think, a 
good uh, investment thesis for everything you know like for example like we play in that sort of b uh, b class uh, you know around 30 to 40 million dollar uh, you know sort of space although our latest project was about 52 million dollars but we like to be in that 30 to 40 million dollar uh, box you know and the great thing is that there's returns for everything i i do agree with you that hey you know, sort of the valuations and the cap rate, there was just so much of uh, sort of, it was, they were so close to each other at the time that, especially last year in 2021, that you wouldn't really know that, oh gosh, you are in a 1980s asset that should really be at a, like a four per, uh, four cap versus an A, uh, you know, A class that was like probably like a 3.6 or uh, 3.75. So it was really close, but I do feel that there's, I think, time and place for everything. Now, as things have slowed down, I do feel that now is an interesting time where you can get a lot of good assets at really great cap rates. You know, again, if someone is playing at a seventy million dollar uh, type of uh, price ranges, that's your kind of your new and shiny, much bigger, uh, you know, sort of the A class. But if you're in that typical B, uh, B, B class assets, you can still get uh, decent cap rates as, you know, the cap rates have definitely expanded for sure, you know. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So the other aspect, and then we're going to move on to the other uh, part of the conversation what I have today, but another big aspect of this whole thing is, right, where are we getting money? You talked about lenders and make it a little harder to work with and you know, they've given less preferable term sheets, all that kind of thing. But I also wanted to touch on things like debt maturity and what types of financing you're going for and what you're looking at there, what you think the, the right play is right now. What's your opinion on, on that? I think it's it's at the end of the day, I think it comes down to how much equity you want to raise, right? So for example, you can still do a uh, like an agency product like a Fannie or a Freddie, but you're going to get leverage that's like 60%, you know, 62%. That leaves a, a very large equity gap, you know. Mm -hmm. So what we have found, or at least what we underwrite to is still a bridge debt, but we model it saying that, hey, we're going to take into consideration how the SOFR curve is going to, uh, you know, escalate, you know. So let's say if the software curve goes up by, let's say, two more percentage points in the next 12 months, you know, we will underwrite for that. And but the good thing is you with the bridge debt, as you know, right, you know, you are able to get up to like either a 75, 78 percent LTC in a lot of cases, of course, including your CapEx dollars. That leaves us a much smaller amount to raise. So it's all a kind of a situation that, hey, can you model the debt correctly? And is your business plan sound enough that, hey, you can do a bridge debt and then refi out of it in, let's say, two years, three years, and still make the returns work? So it all depends on a project. And at the same time, I like to always point out that, hey, the market or the sub-market where you invest is super important. Uh, you know, like sometimes you can do a bridge debt on a great submarket and still have awesome returns because the submarket itself is very strong. But sometimes if you're in a very slow market and you have bridge debt, that's a completely inverse case where you're going to have a very difficult time, uh, you know, just achieving your basic business plan or, you know, God forbid, you know, you have a problem in doing a refi and things like that. So 
my gospel always is that hey go invest in a great sub market find a great asset that you can value add and then you know do your business plan so there's a lot to be said about that for sure <laughs> okay okay great i love that glad we touched on that so wanted to move our our conversation we talked about this as well before we started recording but one of the things that really fascinates me about folks who achieved financial independence early on in life, you know, ahead of schedule, right? Before we think about retirement, you were able to leave your job. One of the things that really interests me is when folks achieve that and they don't just go retire and sit on a beach and mm -hmm. you didn't do that. You didn't go retire on a beach. You're still working very actively. You're speaking with us today. I wanted to talk about just why you chose to do that. You mentioned, told me about what your wife is up to and how you guys, you know, aren't just, uh, sailing off into the sunset. So let's <laughs> dig into that. Sure, sure, sure. So for context uh, for our viewers, uh, you know, my wife quit in 2012 as we were building up our portfolio and I quit myself around that 2015 timeframe, right? And what we found is, Taylor, is that you always need a set of goals or a set of activities that you want to do, right? So for us, it was interesting where we were renovating a lot and we were buying a lot. And for us, when we stopped buying in, let's say, 2016, it was a situation where like, oh, my God, we both have quit the jobs and we were like hyperactive. And what else we do? Right. So I have shifted, obviously, uh, at the time into uh, multifamily syndications and things like that. My wife is pursuing her radiology and sonography uh, education and things like that. So. In general, what you will find, and that's what I have discovered also, is that, uh, you know, just achieving financial freedom or a time freedom is great. But at the same time, having those successive goals that you can sort of shoot for, and that doesn't mean that they have to be, uh, you know, like financial goals. It could as well be, hey, you want to give back or you want to improve your health or you want to go serve, volunteer, things like that. You know, those goals need to be defined. And for us, it was a bit of, uh, because we, I mean, quite candidly, we were not that aware. We were just kind of fell in the trap that, oh boy, you know, we have the time and we have the money and we quit our jobs. And we were frankly not smart enough to have all those goals lined. And we had to go sort of introspect uh, into our personalities and find what we like. And, you know, I am more into the real estate guy who likes to buy and operate. So I find, I've, or rather, I found my calling, uh, fortunately, through syndications. And as you know, like, I'm pretty much active in the space now. Mm -hmm. But for my wife, for example, she always wanted to serve and volunteer and somehow be tied to uh, medicine uh, side of things. So she she's doing her uh, sort of education and she goes to the hospital and she'll, uh, you know, serve the patients and things like that. So that is what I have discovered. And I saw that consistent pattern where I know many business owners who will also retire, but at the same time, they'll be so uh, sort of involved or engaged into not just business, but any other activities that they may be doing. It's not just that, hey, I'm just going to sit on the beach and, uh, you know, just kind of, uh, or, you know, just smile at the sun or whatever, you know, it's it's not that uh, empty, let's put it that way, you know. Yeah, I think that's, like I said, that's something that really, uh, that fascinates me because I think that's 
maybe what uh, I'm not exactly sure who tells us who puts this idea in our heads, but they give us uh, society, maybe marketing. I don't know. gives us the idea that your retirement should look like, again, sitting on the beach, just being retired, going on vacation, vacation, basically until you die. And if you want to do that, if you get fulfillment out of that, I'm not judging, go for it. But I think the important thing is the fulfillment yes. aspect of that. And that's what I'm really trying to highlight by, by learning about your, your story and your wife's story by being retired and, you know, continuing to work basically. Yep, absolutely. I think it's, it's a purpose driven fulfillment. I call it many times is that, Hey, what's driving you, you know, what are you trying to achieve and are you like satisfied and do you get enjoyment? Are you fulfilled out of that? That that's kind of how I look at it. Like, you know, a lot of these things, when I look at it, uh, even uh, in our uh, sort of multifamily world, you know, I'll, I'll look at it and then say, hey, some of these deals, does it make sense? Is the submarket strong enough? Like, are we going to go in and not be able to serve our investors properly? You know, there's no point in doing projects where you are doing a bunch of work and adopting, you know, all sorts of, uh, you know, sort of trials, tribulations and still not be able to give the investors and a lot of things you can say about that uh, uh, many other things say, uh, uh, in the same fashion that you're doing activities but is it making uh, are you satisfied about that if not then it's time to change the course right and it's great that you have the freedom and and your wife has the freedom to to do that and you know for our for our listeners, I, I don't know, I'm knocking around in my head, maybe trying to write a book about that or interviewing a bunch of people uh, like you, Sakar, who have, have achieved that and decided to pursue something that is fulfilling and not just sitting on the beach. So uh, so stay tuned about that. Before we sure. move on to the little last part of the show here, any final words of wisdom about the market or being retired, but not really retired, financially independent or anything like that? Uh, I think... Uh... I always like to say, Taylor, that life is plural. You know, I think sometimes we get very focused on maybe a thing that you want to do or maybe a couple of things that you may be focused on. But I think it's very important, especially from a family standpoint, to maybe see the people around me. And I have been uh, sort of a uh, banner child for some of those mistakes, if I want to say that that I was very focused on doing only a few things and not paying too much attention on what else is happening in the family. But over the years, I've gotten better that, hey, there's few things on career that are important, but at the same time, uh, you know, you have uh, sort of uh, duties to your kids, your family, you know, your pa aging parents and things like that. And I've gotten better at it. And, and I think, Having that plurality gives you more focus into what else you want to do as well. So those are those are some things I would say that for sure. You know? Awesome. I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Many real estate investors, when they're getting started, struggle with tracking the finances, performance, rent collections, and everything around the numbers with their rental properties. Well, viewers of our show no longer need to worry about this with a revolutionary piece of software called Stessa. Listeners of the Passive Wealth Strategy Show can get access by using our link in the show notes. Start tracking the financials, collect rent, and everything around your rental properties. Great tool for real estate investors to have in your tool belt. Check it out. Now back to the show. 
All right, so Car, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show, but you've been on the show before. You know that you've answered those questions. I've got three new questions for our returning guests. Are you ready to go? Absolutely, sir. <laughs> Great. So the first one for our returning guests, what is your favorite business book? Uh, my favorite business book is, uh, you know, the uh, Think and Grow Rich. I like to always highlight that. There are a lot of ideas that come out of it. And then I have always found great things from the Millionaire uh, book by uh, Thomas Stanley. I always love that book. And I keep that as a Bible to keep me grounded all the time. You know, Awesome. Awesome. I love that. So we had your favorite business book. Second question, what is your favorite personal book? Book that is not for business reasons, but you like it anyway. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, Think and Grow Rich kind of falls into that. And I also like, uh, you know, the, the Miracle Morning book as well. Uh, that kind of is a great summation of, hey, different things that you can do. And then that gives you peace. I mean, I journal a lot and I'll exercise, obviously, and things like that. But then the whole idea that, hey, I get to read something, whether that's marketing, whether that's different, uh, you know, business books and things like that. So that core set of uh, that uh, principles within that book is what I like that I get to do different things as a result of those habits that I adopt, you know. So that's why I like that American Morning book as well. Awesome. Love it. So the third question, what is a trip or conference that you're most excited about in 2023? Uh, in 2023? Well, next year's I am uh, looking forward to attending the Raise Masters uh, annual uh, conference as well. That's going to happen either in October or coming January. I mean, great quality set of people. And I love to, uh, you know, maybe meet you there and, you know, obviously interact with a lot more other people as well. Awesome. Well, it's been great talking with you once again today and great reconnecting for our listeners out there who want to reach out, want to get in touch, want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that. Where can they track you down? Sure. Uh, people can find me uh, very easily accessible. At, uh, you can look up us at premiumcashflow.com. All our activities are there. Uh, we conduct a podcast as well called Premium Cashflow Podcast. Um, or, or otherwise, people can reach me at info at premiumcashflow.com. Uh, very easily available via LinkedIn, Facebook as well. Uh, just look up my name, Sikar Kavle, and you'll be able to locate me. Awesome. Love it. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day. And we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.